The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! I'm here at the rich, the rich person's elementary to talk to you today about dreams for the future. <laughs> Teacher. Yes, I'm here to talk to you today about your dreams for the future. <laughs> and I want to know what you want to be when you grow up, little well, I'm, boy. I'm five. And right now, I want to, um, I'm a five, and I want to... Tell me about your hopes and dreams. I think, I think I want to be five on the five. Well, you're acting a little tough, aren't you? Uh, it's... 
Well, maybe when you're old enough, you'll see that you're not so tough. Well, man, I'm having a hard time yes ending this. Someday when the seas get rough, you'll see. I want to be a sailor, I guess. Oof. Oh. It's hard to top yourself when you've done so many things. <laughs> maybe we maybe we cap it right there. For the people at home, we had a whole other bit I realized I wasn't recording that involved me eating the delicious plate of chicken in front of me. And, well, we that just didn't work out. So in that event... Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky, who's who's clearly not on his improv game tonight. Yeah, that one just skidded off the road into a ditch, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, was, I was just kind of sitting in there watching the whole thing happen around me, stuck in the car as the flames were surrounding me. <laughs> This is a Jack White History Podcast where we talk about Jack White films and music and, uh, well, bands and tours and all kinds of stuff, James. And this week we're back with a very special part two to last week's episode. Yes. Yeah, uh, we were talking about the album Consolers of the Lonely, doing our analysis and review, and we butt-scratched the surface. We haven't even gotten to the track-by-track, but this week we are poised and ready, Paul, to get into that track-by-track. Oh, I'm poised. I can't wait. There's a lot to talk about with this album, and last week we covered its inception, we talked about its release, we talked about the album artwork. This week we're joined by a very special third person. We're joined by Brandy St. John, Mm. who was Jack White's stylist and, I don't know, I guess you'd call her wardrobe art director, maybe, for many years, I guess, but somewhere between in the neighborhood of six or seven years, so... She worked with the White Stripes, she worked with the Raconteurs, she worked with the Dead Weather, and specifically, she worked to costume the album artwork of the album we're talking here today, the Raconteurs sophomore release, Consolers of the Lonely. Indeed. Brandy had a lot of great stories, and we're going to get to uh, we're going to get to those a little later on. But James, I'm really excited to get to more talk about this album. I love the Raconteurs, and this week, as we're recording this, we got treated with some interesting new announcements from the band, including the announcement of their third album after what eleven years. Eleven yeah. years. It's called uh, Help hey, Us over tr- there. Help Help yeah, Us, Stranger. Right. <laughs> hey man. Hey. <laughs> Help us, stranger. Uh, hey, buddy. And uh, it is, uh, it's bucking some trends, Paul. It's got some new art direction, it seems, and a fresh take on the tours. although it seems like they're keeping up with some of the old traditions. They got a cover of a classic song on there, which they did on this album, and they have a call and response kind of version, a plural uh, slash singular song. So there's Help Us Stranger and Help Me Stranger. Help Me Stranger on the album and the album Help Us Stranger. I didn't actually go through the tracks in too much of a detailed way, but since we're here and since we're talking about it, and this is a Jack White History podcast, what'd you think of the uh, album artwork? Not my favorite. Really? Yeah. I like it. It's the first Rax album that doesn't have the Rax on it, so there's that. And you know what's funny is I thought Dodge and Burn was more of a Tours feel than this was. Yeah, I could see that. I really like the green, though. The green's nice. It, it harkens back. I think Jarrett mentioned this, and I had mentioned it at, at some point. Friend of the show and Jet Plastic Recordings founder, Jarrett Coral. Yeah, he mentioned 
that the green heart like kind of reminds him of the old com from ah. this particular era. This uh, Consolers of the Lonely website had a digital lo-fi 8-bit kind of green DOS box yeah. vibe to it. Yeah, so what we're describing here, we're describing the front cover of the new Raconteurs album, Hey Over There, You Buddy. <laughs> Help us, stranger. You Buddy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which uh, which is basically a sideways like walk sign from the crosswalk sign. It's a don't walk sign, but it's green, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that pretty much takes up the whole cover. Now on the lenticular version, which we will be getting as vault members, and if you're not a vault member, you really ought to be. But um, as we're gonna get is a um, a lenticular image that goes back and forth between, and I think they just put this on their Instagram today. Actually, it goes back and forth between the hand and the walk. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. I actually like that idea a lot, and uh, they really they're playing with that sort of street crossing kind of motif. Even on the slip mat, we're gonna get from Rob Jones. So I don't know. It's an exciting time to be a Raconteurs fan, James. Yeah, is the slip mat Rob Jones? I know Patrick Keeler did the bandana. You okay? I thought I read that, but I may be wrong. Okay, you you might be right. Uh, you might be crazy. But since we're talking about it, one of the other things we found out is that the Raconteurs have, yeah, as you mentioned, they have a cover song on here. They're covering Donovan. Yeah, they must be listening to our show, Paul, because I think on four separate occasions we've ah! said how much we love both Donovan and we want Jack White in some regard to cover Donovan tunes. I don't think we actually called out Donovan in our covers episode, to be no. honest with you. But we did talk about him in previous episodes, uh, I, definitely in the listener questions episode, the first listener questions episode. Yeah. But I think I at least talked about Donovan being a major part. Anyway, super excited about that. Yeah. Get the uh, the old Irish troubadour himself sure. involved in this process. Uh, hey, Jip is a song that Jack has covered before in the past with the band The Go. During a live set, during one of the vault releases with The Go, they released... There is a brief interlude into the song Hey Jip, and it's even inscribed into the matrix on the record itself. I'll buy a Chevrolet, buy a Chevrolet, I'll buy you a Chevrolet, you just give me some of your love. Just give me some of your love Just give me some of your love, gal Just give me some of your love I don't want your Chevrolet I don't want Chevrolet, yeah I don't want your Chevrolet Just give me some of your love, man Just give me some of your love There is one other Donovan reference within Third Man that's coming to mind for me anyway, which is, of course, Mm. the Karen Elson cover of Season of the Witch. Oh, yes. Which uh, showed up during her Ghost ghost Lady. The Ghost Who Walks? The Ghost Who Walks album. (laughs) The Ghost Who Walks Across the Street album. Uh, It was a single. It was a B-side. Straight. 
I'm, I'm really happy to be seeing the Donovan love out there. And uh, yeah, so anyway, write us in. Tell us what you think of the track listing, the track names, the album artwork. We want to hear from you. We'll put it in a segment over here. And, and we're just so excited that we just had to talk about it a little bit. At least I did, James. And thank you for humoring me. You're welcome. And you should be ashamed. I should be ashamed. But instead, I just can't, I just can't stop smelling something. Paul, Paul are you smelling... Are you smelling some facts? Oh, astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. This is a weird episode. Yes, it is. James, would you like to tell the people what I think a smell fact is? Uh, sure, it's the segment of the show in which we get some facts out there on some previous topics that you, the listener, might send in or us, the hosts, might find out. And instead of doing a whole new show about these things to add these facts in, we just put it in this, we shoehorn it into this segment here that we like to call, I think I smell a fact. Yes. Now, this fact comes courtesy of our third woman in spirit every week, Tam Davis, who shared something pretty neat now last episode as we mentioned we talked about the consolers of the lonely album artwork and we asked a lot of questions about some of the different taxidermy and some of the different outfits used and we will get to actually more discussion about that later with brandy st john but Mm. tam was able to solve a little bit of a groovy mystery for us james she did with a really cool instagram post that she dug up from mr ben jenkins friend of the show uh and warstick founder and co-owner with Jack White. Paul, would you like to, to describe it? Yeah, so on the on the One Fast Buffalo, which is Ben Jenkins' Instagram, he uh, posted a photo from, I believe, t- October of 2017 or roughly therein, and it is of him sitting betwixt, or between, two uh, lions the first of which looks uh, the one to the right of him which looks tremendously like the one that appears on the cover of the Tours. well there's two lions on them so it makes sense that both of them are there in jack white's house yeah i guess I'm, i was just thinking about the uh, the first one the instagram post itself says like when you're at jack white's house that's right you read the <laughs> okay so i didn't see that yeah so the first it was posted 76 weeks ago whatever so i guess that puts it at roughly october 2017 but yeah what's interesting is the first what he tagged it is reading between the lions a tradition at jack white's house and that is just so funny and that's our first kind of like because we don't really see inside his house all that much that is exactly what I pictured inside Jack's house to look like. Yeah, just animals everywhere. And, yeah, uh, and red it, carpet, bright red carpet, wood panel walls, a guitar amp for seemingly no reason, a ukulele, two ukuleles, uh, something that looks like spikes protru- or, or stalactites or stalagmites, which are the ones that come out of the ceiling. That one. Hang tight to the ceiling, and then the one the stalagmites are on the ground. There's no fun rhyme for that. <laughs> so he's got stalag. What if I feel like we've said before on the show stalactites? So 
Jack is confirmed to have stalactites in his house. Yes, yeah, no, definitely stalactites uh, and a pair of ukuleles uh, down this way. We call that a dukulele. A dukulele. Woo! <laughs> Dual ukuleles. Somebody who replied on this called Young Kujawa said Ooh. that these look like the lions that were used at the Field Museum in Chicago, which is a great museum if you've never been. The same lions that inspired the ghost and the darkness. And I don't know what the ghost in the darkness is, but there we are. Looking it up. All right, this looks to be a movie of some variety. It stars Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer, Mm. and um, they're hunting lions. And being hunted by lions. What's what's not to love? When you're being hunted by lions, you're going to want to avoid large slabs of butter men like Val Kilmer, because they're just going (laughs) to attract them lions. And uh, if you let it sit out there in the African sun for too long, it's going to create quite the stench. Should we do a real quick stop break? <laughs> Did I just call Val Kilmer a butterman? Should we do a really quick stop breaking down about dad's mandolin mishap? What What was his mandolin mishap? All right, we're going to do a really quick mini stop breaking down in addition to oh, this, James. Oh, man. Stop breaking down. Last episode, you were uh, talking about mandolin playing in our interview, in the interview with our parents, Wayne and Elizabeth Kaminsky, your parents mm-hmm. and ours. And James, you said that Paul McCartney is playing a mandolin on the song Dance Tonight. And Dad said, no, he's not. It's a ukulele. And I'm here to tell you, he is playing a mandolin. Woof. James, you were right. This is public vindication. Woof. I don't even know what else to say other than, oh. When I reflect on that fact. Paul, let's say we get into this album that we like to call Consolers of the Lonely. Woo! Track, 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 track. So, yeah, let's get into the track by track, track, track. I'm track. excited! <laughs> well, don't get your hopes up too high. There's not a lot of... <laughs> Not a lot of information out there on on a lot of these songs, but we will uh, we will go through them track by track. Let's start with Consoler of the Lonely, track one, side A, Consoler of the Lonely. Haven't seen the sun in weeks, my skin is getting pale. Haven't got a mind left to speak, but I'm skinny as a rail. My bolts are getting thin, my interest is starting to wear. James, I would like to thank you for detitillating me. <laughs> Untitillated. I would love to just open here with saying consoler of the lonely we talk about this sometimes on the show that was when i first heard that the coolest thing i'd ever heard in my life yeah i love that song so much and it's so radically different from everything else on this record like yeah consoler of the lonely sounds like a late 70s drug rock not even power pop like it's got so much tooth on it so much more tooth 
than I think most things that the raconteurs ever did. That I feel like Consoler of the Lonely is the next logical progression from Store Bought Bones. Like it is so much in line with that. Like you put Consolers of the Lonely and Store Bought Bones on an A and a B, and those two are married. Like that is a marriage made in rock and roll heaven, and they are just it's such a great song. Agreed. You're right about it being a lot more toothy this whole album has has a lot of songs that are like that that have a little more grit to them that seem a little more aggressive let's just say not angry necessarily but there's there's definitely some aggressive rock and roll in this one whereas you could tell brendan had his hand in broken boy soldiers quite a bit being the impetus of it it makes sense this album jack white seems to be immediately at the helm of it and just from the beginning of the song, you know, the powerful notes that, that kind of boom in and create this riff. This is creating the riff rock that Jack White's been trying to get away from, I think. The track starts off with a little bit of kind of murmuring. Uh, that, that's a little indiscernible, although you can discern two sentences, at least I can, and a, the internet can as well. It starts off with, Daddy, will you tell me the story about the chicken again? Ah. And it's like a child. I I assume Brendan's child, uh, Brendan's son, because this is right around the time that his son was um, old enough, let's just say. Then Brendan chimes in and goes, yeah, let's double track that. And uh, then there's some more other murmurings that go on in the background that I can't discern. But uh, yeah. Paul, your original intro would have been very apt because <laughs> tell me the story about the chicken again. Yeah, it's f- familial life, and that really does become a priority for Brendan toward the latter half of the 2000s to the point where he sort of walks away from music for a little while to attend to his family and to be kind of that, not a stay-at-home dad, but he faded to the background a little bit and kind of became more domesticated. So, uh, the, you know, this is right around that turning point for him, I guess, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. I love the little double track that bit in there because it adds a lot of interesting texture to that Mm -hmm. opening kind of riff and ambiance. Yeah, I mean, it's something Jack White's known to do, especially if he's producing something, because there's some of that on the Lily Mae album that Jack produced. What did a snake do to her? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of the studio banter, and I, I always enjoy hearing a little studio banter. Nothing wrong with that. This song was a late single in the game. Was it? It was. It was released very late on a mostly promotional basis, it seems. It included some songs that were recorded live at the Hammersmith Apollo in London, along with the Consolers of the Lonely. Uh, So it's interesting because it's not like a main single at all. It's got like Coachella stuff on it, and it's bizarre. Yeah, this isn't really a singles album. There's not like a lot of natural choices that you would pick from here i don't think there's just not to my ear anyway the the radio playiness of this is just not what broken boy soldiers was which doesn't make it a better or worse album it just makes it in my opinion drastically different so i think you i mean what we wind up getting is maybe a better representation and maybe came to define the record more because the singles we did get were a little more country Mm. a little more honky-tonk a little bit i love that you know it was at least considered for a single in some capacity because I think it's a really strong track, maybe one of the strongest of their career. What I love about this track is it really gives you the true 
point counterpoint to Jack and Brendan. You have Brendan taking verse. You have Jack taking a verse. They're almost like two different components of a song, a little Lennon and McCartney-ish in that way, a little Day in the Life-y in that way. But you get you get this wonderful composite of these two musicians into one piece that feels like a suite. You know, It feels more like a song suite that just conveys a lot of mood. It conveys a lot of power. It conveys a mm. lot of personality, a lot of emotion. Uh, one of the things I remember was uh, listening to this album with my then roommate uh, and friend of the show, Vintituro, filmmaker Vintituro, whose uh, film Victor Goodview just came out via Troma, so everybody should go check out Victor Goodview. I remember Vin wound up saying to me, he thought the song, the Brendan parts, where he's talking about having had a decent meal, my brain is fried, he thought that that was about coke and about somebody doing cocaine, and the song has that kind of erratic nature, and I, now I'm not really familiar with Jack and Brendan's drug histories, really, nor do I sort of wish to be, but... If I had to guess, I would say you'd probably have to try pretty hard to avoid cocaine in a rock and roll band. So I think it's at least remotely conceivable that the attitude of it had something to do with that, although I base that purely on feeling alone. Well, the album's title is, as we talked about last episode, based on the post office poem in Washington, D.C., and Jack was already thinking of the post office credo. I think it could also just be overworking and oh yeah that makes sense and working very diligently and hard and to the point of you know killing oneself um when you told me what vin had mentioned there it went it made all the sense in the world knowing what i know now about jack white i don't i don't know if he would write a song about it necessarily but uh, no um, certainly not but brendan might well brendan might but uh because <laughs> the is jack it. parts are so different the jack parts are well, if you're looking for an accomplice, which is, by the way, a wonderful little bit of phrasing and singing on Jack's part. Jack does with his voice there. It's it's as screeching as his guitar. He's got the what you're looking for in the complex. I love that. It's just it's one of my favorite little bits actually from any Jack White song. But that part of the song is so much different. Yeah, that one's more like you know what I could. Okay, now that we're talking about this, maybe Brendan's the guy who worked himself into being alone, mm-hmm. and maybe Jack is the postman consoling. Delivering, yeah, can, get delivering him the mail and tell him if if you're looking for an accomplice, a confederate, somebody that's helpless, you're gonna find yourself yeah, alone. It's possible. He's maybe he's giving him advice. Maybe you know. If you're looking it is for cutthroat, <laughs> singing the bottom note. Just singing a bum note. Above note. I always think he's saying bottom note. <laughs> you bring up a lyric that does evoke some imagery, which is confederate, which is definitely a deliberate term that Jack is using here. What would the Civil War kind of imagery that is being portrayed in a lot of this, especially with like the tintype photography and stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think we covered, we talked about like, it's like Civil War up through the 30s and then doesn't yeah. really get beyond the 30s. Right. But confederate is definitely a deliberately chosen word to continue evoking this spirit. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Without a doubt. Also, the lyrics, I can find, I'll say, scapegoat, 
and I'm with you. It should be escape goat. I um, thought it. I honestly, God thought he's saying, if you're looking for an escape goat, obviously that better be. That's crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy thing. He wouldn't be saying, but I always heard that him saying, if you're looking for an escape goat. That's just the kind of kooky thing Jack would say. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I hope and pray that that's it. And um, I think uh, with that, we should move on to track number two. Hit me, James. Salute your solution. James. It's definitely some of that riff rock. It's the first single off of the album. It was dropped the same day as the album, March 25th, 2008. It is um, fast-paced. It is definitely a single-worthy song, something that can definitely get the old Tours fans engaged into uh, into this album. has some really good guitar work by Jack. James, this was more than just a single. This was actually the Tours' fifth biggest hit as a band just Oof. ever. It was the number 28 on the U.S. mainstream rock charts. It was number four on the U.S. modern rock charts, second only to Steady As She Goes. And it was in the Canadian Top 100 at number 79. Wow. Yeah, it is featured in many, many, many different uh, television shows as well as movies. It appears in Zombieland, the 2009 hit with uh, Jesse Eisenberg. It's It appears yes. in... Isn't Bill Murray in there? Doesn't he play a Ghostbuster in that movie? He is in there. He plays just Bill Murray. It's in the movie The Campaign, Premium Rush, the movie about the bicyclists. Wow. It's in uh, the Power Rangers movie. It's in... Uh, what? The, yeah, it is... The an, new one? It, yeah, the new one. Um, <laughs> it is in the movie Only the Brave, which came out in 2017. Wow. It's in a lot of a lot of stuff. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. I guess this is... Uh, we were talking about this not really being a singles album i guess i guess this one really does earn that single it's just not one of my favorites i don't find the hook or the progression or really anything about it to be all that compelling or certainly to my ear not as interesting as consoler of the lonely which there's so many little bits i just can't help to be interested and captivated in it you know and this one i just don't have that it's a, a little samey it comes across Again, to my ear, a little as sort of just noise. Mm. But, you know, it's a Jack song, so I like it, you know? But I, I don't know. It's not my favorite. Yeah. It's got a lot of components that I think people can latch on to, and it's definitely got a hook to it that 
becomes interesting. It's got a little bit of that uh, that broken apart dual singing that Consoler of the Lonely has in that Brendan starts singing one part and then Jack will start singing another part and yeah, find himself sucking beyond... <laughs> what? <laughs> what does he say? I find myself just looking worthy of my best intentions and I always hear Brendan saying, I find myself just sucking of my best intentions. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> it's yeah. it's the weirdest thing. I like it. I think it's a, a single worthy song. There's a music video for it that was dropped the same day as the album and the single. This music video was directed by Autumn DeWild. It's comprised of uh, 2,500 still shots taken and assembled by Autumn. And uh, is that what that is? That little yeah. herky jerky motion. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. I, by the way, that's awesome that Autumn. DeWild directed that. She has directed a lot of music videos, actually, mm-hmm. in addition to being a photographer and a good friend of Jack's over the years. So would love to learn more about Autumn. Hopefully we'll get Autumn on the show one of these days. <laughs> and um, yeah, the single was backed with a bluegrass version of Top Yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good song, solid song. It's keeping the pace of the album. And uh, Paul... I think you'd understand me if I said, let's move on to track number three. Oh, let's do it. Track number three, You Don't Understand Me. I like this one. But if the feeling was right, you might comprehend me. And why do you feel the need to tease me? Why don't you turn it around? It might be easier to please me. And there's all. a lot out there about how the song was written or what it's about there's obviously plenty of theories it's one of the slower songs on the album and it could be about the racks dealing with people not understanding where they're at artistically at the the time possibly i don't know Uh, there's a lot of lyrics about how a third party might not be understanding what that person is doing at the time but yeah. get it in time you know it, and it's for that exact reason why this one gives me really heavy early white stripes vibes this one tracks for me similar to like something from distill mm-hmm. or something from blood cells maybe but like in that distill blood cells kind of region like jack writing a heartfelt sort of angry love song like he's got a lot of those in his catalog this sort of like yeah frustrated lover kind of thing Mm -hmm. like it's a common theme for him and his stuff and so this one gives me those vibes but yeah it's i i like this one this one sounds more in line to me with the rest of the album like i feel like this is where what this album actually is materializes in a way like Mm. just the nashville of it all i mean we talked about that a little last episode but one of the key differences between this uh, album and the previous album is that they are they all of the band is now in nashville and not in detroit anymore so you are getting that slightly bluegrassy sort of sound you're getting a more acoustic guitar you're getting fiddles and you know you're getting some of that white stripesy piano which honestly that first record is 
It's kind of devoid of it. First record's really a guitar record. This one, there's a lot more piano than yeah, uh, than on the previous. Definitely. And it has that killer Jack like slamming on the piano and going like faster and faster. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny. Like there is a there's a real difference between a song written on a guitar or for a guitar and a song written on a piano or for a piano. Not just in the way it's performed, obviously, but in the, just the structure of it. You know, mm-hmm. the piano has a certain kind of sound when it comes to chord structure and arrangement and things like that. So I think this one really does track like one of Jack's sort of classic piano ballads. Yeah, and I think the lyrics are definitely more leaning towards the Brendan side of things. Um, See, I'm getting Jack with this one, but I could... Okay. The lyrics, I don't know, I, every time I hear about, you know, somebody fooling you or something, <laughs> or, yeah, uh, okay. you know, turning around and... Uh, not understanding. I always kind of get Brendan vibes, but yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, it's a collaboration either way. The song was written by both Brendan and Jack. And uh, again, there's a, you know, this, the word treason is thrown in there, which uh, in my head just goes right to like back to the Confederacy, like that whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe this song is about the North and the South not understanding each other because <laughs> at the core of my heart, your ignorance is treason. I mean... Eh, it could be. Is it that, or is it in the court of my heart? It's pot. I don't know. The lyrics that I'm looking at right here say the core of my heart. Okay, so if that's true, then that sucks. Because like the that that was one of my favorite lyrics from any Jack tune, which was in the court of my heart. Your ignorance is treason. Because treason is something you throw around in a court setting, and so yeah, I always loved that. I hope it's court. Maybe somebody can write us in and tell us. But in the core of my heart, your ignorance is treason. I hope so. Uh, (laughs) Ah, But in the court of my heart, your ignorance is treason. On Genius Lyrics, it says court. Okay, okay. So we're 50-50 core and court. Yeah. I'm feeling good about court. Let's see. uh, Come along now, court. Bort. Either way, good song, but uh, you know, because there's not a whole lot I can say about it, I, I'd say let's grow up a little and move on to track number four. All right, let's do it, James. <laughs> Old enough. Ah, you look pretty in your, in fancy, your fancy dress. dress, but I detect one happiness. This song has a lot more written about it, uh, only because the single versions that we will get to in a minute had a lot more press coverage. Yeah. This was the third single on the album, Old Enough. Yeah, released in September of 2008, it says here. Yeah, and it was a a definite collaboration between Jack and Brendan, uh, to quote Brendan. Like, for instance, on one song, Old Enough, I wrote and sing these verses, and then he comes in with these bridges that he wrote and sings, and together it really makes it so cool. The single version 
that came out, there were kind of two singles, but one featured Ricky Skaggs and Ashley Monroe. Yes. And that one is pretty nifty. We talked about that a little bit last week with uh, the interview with our parents and yours. Yes, because they saw Ricky Skaggs, and we talked a little bit about that bluegrassy sort of sound. And if there was a song that ever, that ever translated into bluegrass, it would be old enough. Mm. The reason Ashley Monroe was chosen, Jack, quote, I had heard her on the Grand Old Opry one Saturday just driving around town. I thought, wow, this is really good when the song started. Whoa, this girl can sing. This is really good. And I thought, I've got to remember this girl's name. And I parked (laughs) parked the car and waited to hear another song. Weeks went by, and luckily we met at the airport. She said her name, and I said, you're not the singer, are you? She thought I was making fun of her. She thought I was making a joke. If you, if we if we were ever unsure if we went too far with the Jackson, I think that one, that was it. He continues, when we started talking about making a bluegrass version of Old Enough, I thought, oh man, I'll have to see if that Ashley girl's around. And she was. Yeah. This is all via CMT, Country Music Television. Ashley Monroe said, I already had the record, meaning consolers, So I was already familiar with the song, and then I listened real, real, real good. What can I do? What kind of harmonies can I put on this? I absolutely love the song. I think both versions are great. I just think it's really organic, and I think it's magic, and I love it. I would always tell Jack to look up at me when it was my time to sing, because I never knew how long the intro was. I got so excited because he had on his hat, and I would just see his eyes. That was memorable for me. Jack's eyes. And Jack said, it felt so great. Because nothing was pre-planned. Actually, the version of the song changed three or four times. That was the final one, like, oh, that's it. So this was around the third or fourth take. I'd love to hear the other takes, but this is the one we got. Yeah, the Ashley Monroe version is interesting because she gets a real spotlight in that one. She opens the song. Yeah, yeah. And does a a wonderful job. Her singing really stands out. Yeah. This Uh, one, again, this one continues that hey, this is what this album really is kind of feel for me. Mm -hmm. This sort of down-home acoustic kind of thing. Worth noting, like, this charted at number seven in the adult contemporary charts. So, like, this is an older person's song. You know, it's a little little more easy on the ears than... If you're looking for it, you know, like, it's a little... (laughs) Sure. it's It's not that. This is... This is a more melodic kind of thing. And of all the complaining I, I may be find myself doing about some of the songs on this record, this one I really do I really do like. Yeah, so I, I think it's uh, this one and You Don't Know What Love Is, You Just Do As You're Told. Those two songs have some of that, like, they're negative love songs. They're like... If, if you if you treat the subject of old enough as a romantic partner, you don't... I mean, it, there's nothing in it to say it has to be a romantic partner. But it's weird because I never I never got it as a romantic thing. I got it more as a like a paternal kind of thing yeah. or a an avuncular kind of thing. Uh, you know, someone older just saying like your your problems aren't all that bad. Right, Don't worry about which it. is condescending a little bit. Uh, and and I'm not even saying that it's wrong, but it's funny because I I struggle. You know, sometimes my wife's a good barometer for this stuff, and she has a, the same response to old enough as she does to you. Don't know what love is. You just do as you're told. And both of them have that kind of. There's a little holier than thou, or at the very least, like let me tell you what it's really about, kid. Like kind of thing, and so. I don't know. I I I I find them both to be fairly innocuous and I I actually really like both of those songs but you know this one it does have a little get off my lawn on it kind of 
a little. Mm, okay. I see it more comforting than... Interesting. Do I think it was more like... I'm not suggesting that is the Bible and what they meant. I'm just saying oh, that course. that is the always the vibe I got. It was always a little dismissive of younger problems, which I don't know. For a guy that writes a lot about problems that are common to, to youths, you know, yeah. It, it, it We shouldn't diminish those problems. They are important. They can be important. Yeah, they're formative uh, in a way. They, they're just uh, – I can definitely see it as, you know, if you're younger and hearing this – Obviously, you wouldn't want to hear it, and it could be condescending or diminishing of what you're saying. And as an older person, knowing and being more wizened with age, understanding that there there are worse things out there than what you're experiencing. Yeah. But I can see it as like a, yeah, count your blessings, kid. Like, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not saying either. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here. I don't think either one yeah. is right. And I, yes, it could probably be a little bit of both, too. I mean... Um, but yeah, no, I like this song a lot. That is a beautiful first opening line. You look pretty in your fancy dress, but I detect unhappiness. What a wonderful couplet of, of lyrics there. And it just shows the strength of the Benson White lyric collaboration. Uh, yeah, the, the the single version, I, I talked about Ashley Monroe being on it. Ricky Skaggs is on it as well, which we talked about last episode. I think I got into it like briefly, but Jack chose Ricky because he had seen a clip of him playing with Lester Flat when he was a child, playing the song Ruby, and Jack said i i thought wow that is incredible it killed me that at that young of an age he played that well and also i had already been a fan but he was just in my mind because of that clip so i thought i want to see what's going to happen with ricky now is he around does he want to do something like this i'm so glad he said yes and the same thing with ashley it's so great that everyone wants to do it and when people want to do it it immediately inspires us and inspires me wow something new is going to happen here patrick keeler said uh we wanted to show a different side of the band and work with a few local artists that we highly respect ricky is a legend plain and simple and one of the best players around yeah and and you wouldn't get and you wouldn't get that that sort of like on the fly let's guess ricky to join the session if the band wasn't in nashville so it's actually yeah it really does change the sound for a lot of different reasons and i think jack has said that in interviews too before where he's like when yeah you know or no maybe it was in the conversation with wanda jackson remember when they're in the back of that car and they're talking Mm. about like oh yeah you just get on the phone and the memphis horns are at your door you know or yeah that kind of thing so it changed the sound and probably in a good way yeah ricky skaggs talked about it briefly he said when jack called and wanted me to do a video and play mandolin with the rack and tours i didn't know anything about the rack and tours i knew jack i knew the white stripes ricky skaggs knew the white stripes it's bizarre yeah that is that is sort of bizarre although you know the stripes were in with dylan and stuff so yeah i guess they're very popular at the time i knew the music that they had made but when i started listening to what they did i could hear the fact that they wanted to do a bluegrass version of the song called old enough when i got down there i didn't know exactly what i was going to run into but it was a fun thing now this is the Um, one james was this the one that was recorded yes there is a video recorded of this that is available on the rack and tours youtube page now that's a really cool video because it's all it's them sitting around in sort of like a semicircle or a circle and they're all Mm kind of watching ricky play and it's really cute and it's all like a live take and ashley's there and i don't know it's one of the more intimate portraits of the rack and tours Definitely has that unplugged wooden floorboard kind of feel to it. That sort of like you could smell the dust in the air kind of thing going on. And Definitely. Yeah. Patrick's got the little like brushes instead of the sticks and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really cool little intimate look into them recording. And like I was saying, and like they were saying, you know, it was 
recorded on the fly. Not one of them really knew what was going to happen until until it happened. Brandon even says uh, this was a good setup because it actually lent itself well to us improvising and coming up with new ideas because we're all facing each other and I think it's sort of a challenge. We challenge each other to come up with something and that you can see that in the video yeah. like Brendan and Ashley looking at each other. Jack just uh, during the breakdown like there's a slow bit and then Jack just starts plugging in the song Wake Up Little Susie. Oh that's right. Um, I forgot about that. Yes I yeah. love that part. Uh, you could see like everybody else just like reacting to it and just kind of having to roll with it. A couple people, you know, start singing Wake Up Little Susie with Jack, and then it, Ashley and, and Brendan kind of go right back into Old Enough right afterwards. Uh, Jack said, uh, we're face-to-face with each other. There's so much talent in that room. Something's going to happen. And Bren- Brendan Benson said, hopefully it'll continue. Ashley and I have been writing more together, and hopefully the bug will spread and the ideas. And this would lead to two new albums having Ashley Monroe collaborations with Brendan Benson. That's right. Yeah. And and Ashley would, would work a little bit with, with some more Third Man related things too. So yeah, the, it really brought some country bluegrass into the into the fold. Laid a lot of groundwork. This album and this song, it's a lot like, you know, I think without this album, you don't really get Blunderbuss sound in mm-hmm. the way it does. And maybe that's not fair to say, but like this album... And Blunderbuss, I think, are very akin to one another in that they're pulling in local people. It's got they both have a similar kind of sound with with the rockers mixed in. You know, maybe what maybe that's why this one's such a fan favorite. This one and Blunderbuss tend to be like the two big fan favorites. So you know, maybe there's something to that stylistic similarity. It could be. I can totally see that. That this leads right into the the country Jack that we knew. <laughs> which uh I, you know for better or for worse i know i liked it but yeah i'm happy you know, it wasn't it forever something different yeah i'm happy it wasn't forever it's sometimes food yeah yeah <laughs> it led to something different all right from here we're, 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 what's the next track let's James? switch let's switch songs paul sure let's switch to the, the switch in the spur souls who trespass against us whether it be beast or man will suffer the bite or be stung dead on sight by those who inhabit this land for theirs is the power and this is their kingdom as sure as the sun does burn so enter this path but heed these four words you shall never This song really kind of showcases the storytelling of the Tours. It is all story, all kind of frills, action, that stuff. I know you, I had had, I had to convince you <laughs> to like this song because yeah. it is over the top. Yeah, long-time um, listeners of the podcast will remember an episode we did called Would You Fight For My Love? Where we had to defend our least favorite Jack songs and Switch of the Spur was on that list for me. Yeah, so a lot of this information is going to be a little bit duplicated from that. But, you know, the song started off as an isolated piano riff, according to Q Magazine. In September of 2008, Jack White had been trying to find, quote, trying to find a home for this riff nah. since 2004. So Jack had this... Uh, since the uh, elephant era, like post-elephant era. Wow. And Brendan Benson finished the song off with Jack, and Jack said, that song alone is enough to make me realize that's why we're in this band, and that's why we're writing songs together. Wow. This is all via Interview Magazine right here. The interviewer says, the switch in the spur about a poisoned outlaw is also heavy on narrative. Brendan says, it's actually a true story, and then laughs. Jack White says, that was the melody I had been playing for years and never had a spot for. Then Brendan 
brought in the line in the heat of the desert sun and that chord change. Ah. I love that track. Patrick Keeler says it's one of my favorites to play. Brendan Benson, when we do it, I almost feel a little too contained. It's like I want my face painted. I want dust. I want tumbleweed. <laughs> Couldn't we have tumbleweed for that one to run across the stage? Jack says, I see a silhouette of a wolf behind us. Every other band right now has wolf in their name, uh, obviously referring to Wolf Mother. Yeah. Um, That's funny. And then Patrick says, and at the end, little Jack in a, is in a barrel and he explodes. I, um, <laughs> now that you say that, I remember that from that episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, it's he's trying to hear that lick, that doom, 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 mm-hmm. doom, It Hearing it out of the context of a cowboy song, it sounds a little more like Steady As She Goes or something off of maybe Icky Thump. But then once you put in the heat of the desert zone, boom, 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 boom. Then it becomes a cowboy song, and the cowboy song is kind of what I find to be a little hokey about it, but, you know, it's fine. I I think you did turn me around a little bit on the track, because hearing how much fun they have playing it just makes me feel happy. So, you know, that that in turn makes me like the song more. And I do like the breaks and stuff, the like the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And then Patrick's got that wonderful little fill, that dum 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 yeah and there is a lot of little bits to like about it and jack's guitar solo is great i just find the premise a little spinal tappy but well you know look at the aesthetic of the album too i mean the that is like you know that's between the 1860s and the 1900s you know is prime cowboy time and that is they they gotta throw a cowboy song you ain't wrong james I, i i do concede that i am I, I, I speak purely for myself here. That is only my opinion about this song. Again, it's a Jack song. I like it. It's fine. I just not my not my overall favorite, but lots of nice little bits. In terms of the storytelling, uh, they they use the the lyrics like I said last last episode in the context of dodos on the album artwork. So there's a live dodo with the switch and the spur lyrics, and then the dead dodo that says, "You will never return." And you know they're they're trying to push push that narrative. It's got that fun little poem in it. For this is the power, but, and, and that's kind of what I like about kingdom. it. As soon as the sun will burn, I'm seeing Harry Shearer with his handlebar mustache looking into the spotlight. I couldn't have said it better than I, than I myself, and I am myself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's you must impress so, yourself often. Yeah. But like it's. <laughs> It, it, to me, it's just like uh, a, someone crawling through the desert by themselves. I just get this evoked yeah. image of them crawling through the desert. Like a Disney ride or something. Bi- and they're going to be bitten by a tarantula or a snake. It's just them fighting the landscape. It's a battle story between a dude and the desert. Yeah. And well, that's fun. I, I love the vocal interplay, though. We have that baritone stuff. And I'm not sure if the whole band sings on this or not, but you do get that by those who inhabit this land. Like there's somebody who's taken that high note. And I think Jack or Brendan are both capable of that, although I suspect that's Brendan. But it probably is. Yeah. yeah, But that reminds me a lot of what McCartney does on some hit like on Beatles songs where Lennon will be taking the low road and McCartney will be just dancing around in the clouds. And it offers a lot of interesting vocal variety. So this is an an example where I think their vocals always mesh well. But in this instance, they're particularly strong. 
Yeah. In terms of the storytelling, this is again via Interview Magazine. Jack White says, I've always been jealous of people who can tell stories really well in a room with a bunch of people. I've never been good at it because I'm not cocky enough to be like, okay, everyone, listen right now to this. I'm going to blow your minds with this joke. You know what I mean? To be like, okay, there we were in a log cabin and I, but when people can do it in a really interesting, polite way, I've always been envious of that. I can do it lyrically in song, but I can't do that in real life. It's out of fear of being so bold as to take control of the room. Who am I to stop everybody to just tell everyone my stupid story? It's presumptuous. (laughs) Uh, This song also uh, contains the the Memphis horns. They they play their Memphis horns on things. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, we may have some. We'll we'll tease this for for listeners out there. We may have some interesting thing as connected to the Memphis horns coming up on the show. Memphis horn related. Memphis horn horn related. But uh, don't feel hold up. Ooh, is that what our for next you, track is, James? It's our next track is hold up. Hold up. Uh, Hold up! And now we're suddenly we're back to B grade Broken Boy Soldiers material. Not a lot written about this song out there uh, that I could find. This one reminds me of, like, Bone Broke or one of those, like, rapid fire Jack Rockers early in his career or something. I don't know. I I tend to like his music more when it's a little less straightforward. (laughs) I don't know. It's definitely a a jammy kind of song, a a song that has that riff rock that we keep mentioning. Is that a wah-wah um, pedal he has on that guitar when he's doing that? Know. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It, I think it might be a knob on the guitar. Is it a whammy bar, maybe? Maybe it's a whammy. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. <laughs> yeah, so hold up. I find it a little forgettable. There's some stuff I like in there. It's got the, the dual meanings of being holed up in a cell and hold up as in you know, wait a second. So that's, you know, that Jack White likes having things with two meanings in them. Yeah. Double entendre. It, look, it's got some, some of that, it's definitely got some Brendan in it, which is, uh, can I get a look at you, girl? Maybe take a peek into your world. That's a lyric that you could just pull right from one Mississippi. Oh, this, um, you know, now that you say that, this song, I bet you, I'm willing to bet this is a Brendan tune. It, now, now that you say that, it sounds like a Brendan song, like mostly. Modern girl, you're so kind. You're going to help me get through this time. Uh, but then we get Prison Cell, which is a thing that pops up in a lot of Jack songs. So I wonder if, I think they're still well, actively lyric... collaborating. Yeah, I mean, the, the next lyric right after that one is, and you know me too well, you didn't break a bone, you broke into my prison cell. That's a Jack line if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, fun song. Not not a lot to say, really. Uh, if you out there know anything more about Hold Up, let me know. <laughs> this sounds like one they workshopped in sound check. Yeah, could be. Yeah. It's short, it's sweet, to the point. Um, but, you know, how could they top themselves after that one, Paul? Now, I love Top Yourself. The I love <laughs> Top Yourself. This is a vicious um, little number. This one is like... Back to Jack just like giving somebody the business.
such a little girl like a spinning top mama But she's spinning out of control Yeah, take sleeping with a snake like you do Rip apart my soul Yeah Yeah, rip apart my soul Rip apart my soul It, the the lyric, there's so much venom in this lyric. How you gonna top yourself? Which is a reference to getting off, like like sexually. So how you gonna top yourself <laughs> when your man's when uh, when there's nobody else? How you gonna do it by yourself when I'm not gonna be here to help you? How you gonna do it alone when I won't pick up my phone? Better get yourself a sugar daddy to help you. Wow, holy! <laughs> and then we get. Um, how you gonna rock yourself to sleep when I give up my midnight creep girl? How you gonna get that deep when your daddy ain't around here to do it to you? Whoa, oh. Jackie boy. Talking about cracking a bone. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Holy mother yeah, it of God. Is, that is something I never put two and two together for, and uh, it is deeply disturbing. <laughs> But it is great. The song itself. You're right between heaven and hell, and you're going to need the good Lord to help you. <laughs> I mean, my God. And he he would go on to play this on the Blunderbuss tour and, and parts of the Lazaretto tour, too. Yeah, it would become his uh, his band naming song. Like, he would name the band with this song. And Daru. How are you going to top yourself, Fats? Uh, <laughs> I feel well. like Fats would have no problem with that. The uh, the song was released as a promo single, also, uh, specifically from WB to radio stations and stuff. It featured the album version, a bluegrass version, the Ricky Skaggs, Ashley Monroe, Old Enough, You Don't Understand Me, acoustic performed for Sirius XM, and an acoustic version of Many Shades of Black. Uh, same artwork, it seems, as the Consoler of the Lonely limited single as well, which makes me believe that that also was a promo. Yeah, when I think of this album, I think of 400 different versions of Old Enough and Top Yourself. There's at least two versions of Top Yourself and at least three versions of Old Enough. There's 400, so. James. David Swanson is credited on this track really? as Shook shook Them All Up. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, he's credited as Frozen 140 Swanson. Uh-huh. I don't know what Frozen 140 Swanson means, but I have to assume it means dinner you're probably right about that frozen 140 let's see well uh the first result is for amazon for frozen gluten-free vegan falafel <laughs> yeah that's what they're yeah that's what they mean that is 140 calories okay. maybe that's it okay anyway moving on good song i think you said as much as i know about it now paul <laughs> which is it's got weirdly sexual <laughs> lyrics it's used in the blunderbuss era and uh it was released as a promo single so <laughs> the bluegrass version is pretty fun uh it's a good time but you've been getting it all for free. Anyway, yeah, James, I love yeah. Top Yourself as like a uh, real nasty little little number. What do we got next up on the on the docket? Well, there's many shades of songs oh. next, which the next one is going to be many shades of black. Love many shades of black. I think I mentioned last episode. This is my wife's favorite Jack related song. On the floor, take whatever's left and take it. There's a lot of like 
really great Motown sort of sound in this. Bre- yeah. Brendan, I, th- I feel like this one's Brendan just through and through. It's so it's just dripping with soul, and it makes mm. all the sense in the world that the Racks would uh, would give it to uh, Adele for Adele to do a cover of later on. Uh, and, it, yes. and Adele does just a killer version of this track because it it does it doesn't even sound like that. I feel like Many Shades of Black is almost like this album's Impossible Winner or something. Like it's a, it's the song that that cracks that commercial code just really effectively. Yeah, which is probably why this was the second single released on the album. Yeah, released in August two thousand eight. And yeah, yeah, and it and it charted. It charted at number thirty-seven on the mm-hmm. alt rock charts. And the 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 B side of the single is the Adele version, as you had said. The single features a picture of Abraham Lincoln, a young Abraham Lincoln on it, a sexy, uh, a sexy man, a sexy Abraham Lincoln. He looks he say. looks like like an 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 older Daniel Day Lewis. Right. But yeah, the Adele version, Adele says, via Rolling Stone, the raconteurs watched us on XL in England, and Jack was like, I'm going to love you. Let's do a song together. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Someone gave my album to him, and he asked me to do a cover of a Brendan Benson song, Many Shades of Black. Interesting that it's a a Brendan. As the B-side to their version. We went to do it in Asheville after I did Bonnaroo, and he had to fly to New York to do the Bond thing. So this is right at the time of of him recording wow. the James Bond thing for Quantum of you know, Solace. James, this couple of years here is his most like commercial artist collaboration. The height of his collaboration with modern mm-hmm. artists. We get Adele here. Yeah. We get Alicia Keys. We get Jay-Z the next year. We get him writing songs that he pictures in his head for Lady Gaga. We get pop artists or R&B artists or people who are outside his... Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse also comes in this time. Yeah, so really, uh, um, I like it when he gets out of his comfort zone with that stuff and dabbles in different sounds like the Tribe Called Quest thing he did or the Beyonce collaboration and stuff. And so, yeah, I'm I'm actually really happy he teamed with Adele. And I feel like... I think this is before Adele really broke huge, if I'm recalling correctly. And so I think her stamp of approval on, on the Rack and Tours, particularly Brendan Benson's songwriting, is actually kind of a clutch one for the Racks to have. Yeah. I, I told a friend about this podcast. He didn't know anything about the Rack and Tours, but he did know Adele. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know that song. So. <laughs> That was fun. Adele continues, and so I thought, okay, never mind, I have to go do it with my band in England because we couldn't do it here, and I was putting down the vocal, and they walk in, the whole band. She says, I'm such a huge fan of Jack White and Brendan Benson. I love his writing as well. So that was insane. Yeah. I was kind of nervous the whole time. We all went out for dinner, and he kept trying to call his wife, like, can I speak to the kids? Can I speak to the kids? (laughs) Wait, which one is he talking about, Jack or Brendan? Jack, I believe. That's cute. And he kept coming back and going, oh, my kids are playing with sprinklers in the garden. He's really intense. He loves to really look into your eye. (laughs) (laughs) I went home and was beeping all of my friends. That Uh, seems not right. This is 2008. Eight, yeah, I know. Nobody's got beeper. And was beeping all... I guess they, maybe it was slang for texting. Is that what Europeans call text messaging? They call it a lorry. Yeah, there it is. Adele continues, he was lovely. Even if he slapped me, it would have been cool. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, whoa indeed. Uh, I don't know what else to, to say about this song that we haven't already. It's just... I don't know. I would play this for somebody who doesn't like Jack White to say like hey 
here's an example of a song that doesn't sound like what you think his songs are going to sound like. Obviously, Adele calling this a Brendan song, I think, pretty much affirms what we suspected, which is that, yeah, this is one that Brendan wrote and, and recorded. But, you know, there's the jack on it, and that solo. Oh, this solo that Jack does. He doesn't have a vocal on this song, but what he adds in his guitar solo is says way more than a vocal ever could it's just scorching and screeching and there's not a note out of place and it's not the most like technically proficient thing i guess i mean it is still pretty technically proficient but it doesn't have to be there's so much feeling in it and it's it's funny because i'm finding his solos lately to not quite have the feel that something like this does and i wonder i I wonder why that is actually but i don't know it's just it plays with the negative space the same as it does with the notes the you know the space that the notes are filling it's a more poetic song than than a lot of others. Yeah, I like it. Can we hear the solo, James? Uh, sure. I, I can't. I can't do it right now, but I'll play it right here. Thank you. I think that'll uh, that'll push us on to our next one. We should probably take five from this song. Yeah, five on the five. not a lot i know about this song it's a very riff rocky song kind of in the vein of hold up very good i want to say it's used in movies and film and stuff but i can't find any evidence of that i think i just get it confused with salute your solution i think i remember hearing this in commercials and stuff though i feel like i did too but i I haven't been able to and and (laughs) i like this one this is one we know they performed in the broken boy soldiers era like not just in sound like not in soundcheck but like actually live yeah it was it was written on tour. This is kind of the impetus for them creating a whole new album. They had only written the 10 or so songs that were on Broken Boy Soldiers before this and were only able to tour with that and some covers, so they had to write songs on the road to be able to play some more stuff. And Five on the Five was one of those songs that they would be able to play during the Broken Boy Soldiers tour. You know, it, it led them into some new spaces. So really you could say this is what kind of kicked off consolers of the lonely in a way yeah at least this is the song we know of that that they were working on on the road yeah it's fine it's a fine little song i like it well, I like more it. consistent yeah. with the first album yeah yeah as the kids would say it slaps sure it's a bop mm-hmm. it's definitely very intense it's a song i would put on honestly i would say this is single worthy myself at least for me i like it it's a good song yeah solid solid tune but now that i have your attention paul (laughs) well actually just really quickly here one more thing on that they're at the first ever gig that the raconteurs ever play which is at the carling academy of liverpool on march 20th 2006 the set list for that gig 
Include is level, intimate secretary, hands, steady she goes, together, a house is not a motel, store-bought bones, call it a day, yellow sun, broken boy soldier, and five on the five. Ooh. And, and then blue veins, and then heading for the Texas border as an encore. So they play this on the very first live show they ever do. And that's funny because it makes it seem like, yeah, maybe it wasn't even written on tour. Maybe this thing was just a broken boy soldier's holdover or written on the plane over. I have no idea. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, crazy. It's definitely got to be a fun song to play live. Yeah. Now that I got your attention, the next song is Attention, another song I don't know next to nothing about. You know, it's got some some of that fun Brendany writing on it that kind of starts off. You know, now that I you have my attention, what are you gonna do? You might have good intentions, but they're not coming through. That's, you know, that's very Brendany to me. Yeah, yeah. But then you have the uh, got a lock, got a key, got a some kind of vice like grip on me, which kind of feels like yeah, maybe Jack. But I don't know. It's got this one's more Brendan than the rest of the album yeah I, f- I find this one a little forgettable i do like that lock and key thing we know that they had more songs that were rejected for this album and I- such as open your eyes by brendan uh which was slated for consolers of the lonely yeah. I would have taken Open Your Eyes or Here in the Deadlights or a- any of those songs that were ultimately rejected <laughs> over this one. I think this one, yeah, in my personal opinion, I feel like this one may be a bit more B-side material, but it, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, to me, this is a song that, that belongs more on My Old Familiar Friend. You know what? It, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like Spit It Out, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Yeah, I can I can hear that move right along to another song I know next to nothing about which is pull this blanket off which is just Jack being Jack yeah pull this blanket off of me maybe it'll help me see I mean, there's not much to it other than that in, that I can see. Yeah, this one is this one is very Jack Whitey. It's one of his like 
piano ballad songs. I don't know, you know, it's a little on the forgettable side too. I feel like that we're we're on side the side we got the side B blues. You know, we're on the B side of the album, and I I think the 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 flip is probably a little stronger. But yeah, you know, this one's okay. It does have some nice little moments. Reminds me a little of the sort of lone spotlight song that he, um, you know, sometimes likes to do on piano on the stage. And when I think of this one, I think of, you know, their live performance. This has a lyrical content that reminds me more of Boarding House Reach Air. Oh, Jack yeah. Jack White feeling kind of morose or, or some kind of sadness that you, like ethereal sadness. Yeah. He's saying, you know, some dreams are worse than the truth. I don't know. It's just, just there's a lot of kind of negative imagery in this song. But uh, Jack does a ditty on a lot of albums, and this just kind of gets lumped into those with me. Your old Marys, your which I guess was an Allison thing more than anything. But now well, that we've learned, was a but, sound, yeah, it was like a yeah, it was Allison egging Jack on. Yeah, I think you know we're at a point in this album where it's it's sagging a little bit, but it never sags too far. Like there, this. There's enough variety on this record that even the weaker tracks, in my opinion, or in our opinions, don't really make, don't really suffer the whole. Yeah, it it does. It picks right back up into quite a refreshing tune with the next track, Rich Kid Blues. Okay, so I thought you were going to say Rich Kid Blues like three songs ago, and I totally forgot the last three songs. Like, I, I, I guess there's like a point in the album where I'm just waiting for Rich Kid Blues to come on. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's definitely more fun. It's a cover originally by Terry Reed. He was like a big pop star who kind of got overlooked, uh, a la Billy Squire, that kind of. Yes. He seems very similar to that. He was or like big star uh, or something. A- according to Aretha Franklin, Terry Reed was one of the three best things to come out of England, along with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Um, Whoa. Aretha Franklin thought very highly of him. It's weird. He had a he had a very kind of underdog tale. He reminds me a lot of Brendan. According to a few different sources I found, he turned down a position to Jimmy Page. He would turn down the position to be the front man of the New Yardbirds Whoa. and instead introduced Robert Plant to Jimmy Page. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So he turned down Led Zeppelin, basically. Yeah. Later, he turned down being the front man of Deep Purple. <laughs> so he's really good at making just horrible decisions. Yeah, I mean, he came out with some some good albums. Super Lungs was one of them. That was kind of what he became known as, is Super Lungs. Uh, 
and he he sang this song rich kid blues it's a good tune i I really enjoy it i talked with alan white last weekend at a beatles convention alan white the drummer for yes and also played with the plastic ono band with john lennon apparently alan white toured with terry reed and played on a lot of those albums when he was 18 as i was meeting him i asked alan hey did you ever play with terry reed and he first said what and i had to lean (laughs) down because he's an old man Uh, (laughs) and i said do you ever play with terry reed did he smile like he he said yeah I, i remember playing with terry like he said he played with him when he was around 18 years old so interesting little tidbit there the drummer from yes played with 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 terry and i got i got to beat him the other day so that was fun it's amazing all right rich kid blues i love it shoes and money good friends i have a great memory of making this song into a little joke with mike after we saw this tour Mm -hmm. at uh, terminal five i think it was terminal five we went to a bar yeah i think we went to a bar and we put our shoes on the table (laughs) and some money and we were like we've shoes and money and good friends too Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, this song sounds just like the original Uh, they didn't really change anything it's really similar these they're almost note for note just even down to the arrangement really similar yeah bizarre but uh good it's a good tune it's fun little ditty and memorable and from there we move on to these stones will shout paul <laughs> another song that's like oh yeah that's on here To me and don't speak softly Talk to me and let me know Grab hold of my shoulder and tell me Grab hold and do not let go Grab hold and do not let go This one reminds me a lot of Switch of the Spur. You know, yeah. it's got that sort of western-y kind of spinal tappy thing going on. But I like this yep. one more than Switch of the Spur. I think. According to Song Facts, somebody had accused Jack of being derivative, and Jack replied, I think a lot of critics and listeners don't realize that there are two types of songwriters. Some will listen to songs and rip them off, and some write songs that end up sounding like someone else. On These Stones Will Shout, there's a part in there that we go to the D, the C, uh, when it goes electric, that you can imagine someone saying, that sounds like the who, but that doesn't mean we're going to change it. When you're recording, you don't hire some guy with a dictionary to come by and say, ah, 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 that sounds like Devo. Stop right there. (laughs) I talked to Jimmy Page and I was saying that Led Zeppelin owned the riff. Any band who writes a riff, any riff ever, gets compared to Led Zeppelin. From Rage Against the Machine and on to the White Stripes. It's the same with the Beatles. They own melodic. The Beach Boys own vocal harmonies. There's these bands that did it first. And they own it for all eternity. Yeah, I'm really happy you read that because I totally forgot that I love this song. Like, I I don't... That's the problem with this record. Like, this record, it's kind of on the long side for for a Jack record, if I'm not mistaken. But, mm. but there's so much on here that I consider, like, filler that sometimes I'm just like, what? Like, what is that track? Yeah, I love this song. That op- that opening acoustic intro and the doom 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 it's I mean yeah it does sound like the Who but it sounds like great Who and I don't know it's yeah wow I don't know man I totally forgot how much I really like this track it's good speak, speak to, to me, to me and speak. don't speak softly talk to me and let me know that's a good oh um, oh. oh this is going on a it, playlist. And you wouldn't be surprised if I told you that 
this song title and that lyric comes from the Bible. I, w- um, I would not. It comes from the Testament of Luke. Uh, is that a testament? No. <laughs> it comes from the book of Luke. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's different versions, actually, of it. Uh, let me let me read to say that. Uh, the, the New International Version, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The New Living Translation, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst out into cheers. <laughs> okay. Uh, contemporary English, Jesus answered, if they keep quiet, these stones will start shouting. Uh, so, yeah, it it's fun. It's from it's from the Bible, Luke nineteen forty. There you go. Wow, awesome. All right, great tune. A lot of variety on this song. It's a sweet. It's this would have been a great album closer if it wasn't for uh, Carolina drama. I'm not sure if there's a point to the story, but I'm going to tell it again. So many other people try to tell the tale, not one of them knows the end. Now, do you remember before we remembered what this song title was and we were just calling it The Milkman? <laughs> I think we had I, the, mean, I think we had the record for like a week or not very long and then we when we saw this tour I remember the Milkman one. I remember us saying like, "Oh, he's playing the Milkman," <laughs> which is, I mean, you're not far off. The working title of the song was called "Battle of the Bottle." Whoa, that's so awesome. There's, two, there's different bottles being evoked in this song, being the milk bottle. Uh, there's bottles of gin, I think, in there. Yeah, well, that's really cool. I didn't know that. And for some inexplicable reason, the author of "How We Built an Empire from the Blues" kept referring to the song as "Carolina Incident." <laughs> Which is wrong and bad, what? and I'm starting to see why Jack hates that book. What a funny, what a funny thing! What a weird mistake to make. He's he refers to it not once but twice. I mean, we is Carolina incident. We get lots of things wrong on this show, but I don't think we've ever referred to this as the Carolina incident. <laughs> I ate at Bojangles a couple too many times, and I had myself a Carolina incident. Carolina incident in their bathroom, in the both room. Paul had himself a bit too many potatoes. I'm trying not to laugh too hard because the baby's sleeping, but that is objectively very funny, James. But Bo- bojectively funny. Oh boy! Oh boy! The interview magazine. Jack White. Jack White said uh, some. Some of that had happened to me. I wanted to write a southern tragedy. The first line I wrote was with Brendan, and I just said, this is the story about Billy and his brother, and I'm going to tell it again. Okay. That was all I had for a while. I wanted it to be so you couldn't tell who was the protagonist or antagonist in the song, and I like that nobody has a name except for one person, Billy. Everybody is identified by how they relate to Billy, whether that's his mother, his mother's boyfriend, or his brother. Yeah. Well, and also, Jack White was reluctant to come up with the the name Billy because he thought that that this shows up in way too many songs, Mm. the name Billy, that is. And uh, according to the notes for the acoustic recordings album, which includes the the acoustic mix of this track, Bob Dylan suggested he name the character Eddie 
but that's the name of Jack White's brother, so he stuck with Billy. Ah, okay. That's cool. Yeah. You know, this song, yeah. it's funny. This song this got a storytelling quality to it. Obviously, that's the, the gist. He's being a raconteur here. Became a fan favorite pretty fast, which is, I guess, not all that odd. It's just, it really is true at the beginning when he says, I'm not sure if there's a point to this story, but I'm going to tell it again. I'm not sure there's a point to this story either. Yeah. It, it, what it has going for it is a real escalation of tension. And so when we get to the end, even though I'm not really invested in what's going on with the characters, because there's like way too many and they don't all have names and uh, it can get a little confusing. It's more about the inflection he puts into it and the rising sort of like, I don't know, he breaks it up with the little piano bits and then we get the urgency of the vocal and you could just hear him strumming harder and, and it just gets, that's why it's such a great song to hear live because he really, he puts his yeah. whole whole body into that one. And I remember when Acoustic Recordings was about to come out, one of the songs they used to really hype that was the uh, Carolina drama acoustic version, which was uh, Mm -hmm. billed as a never-before-heard acoustic mix. And I remember thinking that that was an interesting choice of theirs. You know, they had a a bit of self-awareness as to what fans really liked, because this wasn't a single or anything, but they knew that fans liked it. Yeah, that buildup of tension and escalation, it It plays to Jack's live strengths, like you said. It plays to his sense of poetry, because, I mean, that's all this song is, really. There's a story there, and you could follow it if you want, but it's really just him describing what's happening, and you going like, wow, I'm in this world for a second, and then you're back out of it, because at the end of the story... There's no conclusion because he says, like, if you want to know the, the truth about the tale, go and ask the milkman. So, like, this is just a story that he's he's spinning a yarn. Right, right. It was actually, uh, there's a quote from that press tour, from the uh, Acoustic Recordings press tour. He says, I started fi- finding certain things, say, a raconteur song that I wrote called Carolina Drama, which started on acoustic guitar and turned into a full band thing with organ and acoustic guitar and drums and electric bass. And I thought, well, why don't we strip that back and take those elements out and let people hear it the way it started off? So it's interesting. I could hear him almost sitting around like a campfire, like playing this one for Little Jack or some <laughs> like that, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's in a barrel about to explode. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he uh, played this on Prairie Home Companion, too, and plays it a lot on tour it's obviously a favorite of his not just the fans it's interesting to note too that uh, dirk powell plays fiddle on this tune Mm. dirk powell you might know from the cold mountain soundtrack which Mm. this is not the first time that cold mountain has been brought up uh in this analysis and review later on in our interview we talk a smidgen about cold mountain because stephen berkman we learn uh did the tintypes for this album and also he did tintypes for cold mountain as well yeah and uh, Our Mom and Yours also pulled the connection to Cold Mountain last episode. Yeah. Anyway, Paul, that'll do it. Oof, got through the album. Good album. Yeah. Real quick, let's mention they, they did, as promotion for this album, they put out a whole mess of fake roadshow stuff. They did t- fake TV shows and commercials. They did From Old to Gold, which is like an antiques roadshow thing. Mm. Welcome to another episode of From Old to Gold the show where you bring in your treasured keepsakes and your thrift store finds, and we tell you whether it's old or it's gold. Uh, hilarious. They find uh, what they call the tour, which is this little wind-up box that plays. Here on From Old to Gold, I see quite a few unique pieces, but this, this is definitely in a category by itself. It may be the only remaining example of what's called the tour. It was developed during the early part of last century. 
as a way to capture sonic energy at sort of a molecular level. It actually creates sound waves out of thin air and combines them to make some of the most amazing sounds ever heard. <laughs> oh, that's really great. I love that. They put a price on it and it's, it's very funny. I never knew it could do that. I'm just going to give it a couple of gentle turns. We don't want to strain the springs. Amazing. They also do a uh, the action pack, the Rack and Tours action pack commercials, <laughs> where there's an infomercial for the action pack. We're counting down the last few seconds to call in right now at eight seven seven five on the five and get the Rock and Tour action pack. And there's also a like a scene of these kind of country folk getting an action pack, running to a barn, and in the action pack is like Guitar Hero. Uh, like instruments but like of a banjo of a washboard so it's like a fake bluegrass rock band game it's awesome oh wow look at the size of this thing the rock and tour action pack from our warehouse to your door thank you kindly lad enjoy yourself fellas thank you we will yeah so go look those up those are fun as for reception the the album was nominated for best rock album at the grammys didn't win just nominated but it did win a grammy for best engineered non-classical album and we have a fun quote from brendan right here i think you know being recognized by your peers is is a you know a great thing i mean I, sometimes those awards sometimes there's too many awards really i mean it just seems silly but uh um. <laughs> <laughs> that was given to uh, Joe Ciccarelli, who uh, engineered this album. Uh, you would remember him for engineering uh, Frank Zappa. He did a, a whole lot of uh, different bands. He he went all over the place. Joe's a, a very well-known engineer. It was, uh, you know, relatively rel- well-received by, by most people. Pitchfork liked it. Rolling Stone liked it. Most people kind of were iffy on it they didn't they wanted uh broken boy soldiers but for instance pop matters didn't care for it at all they called it disorienting (laughs) they said that benson's turn at the mic are severely limited uh thereby inadvertently turning the raconteurs into the jack white show and uh, yeah yeah but overall it, it got pretty pretty good reviews it gained more of a cult following later on after it came out and overall pretty well received and interestingly peaked at number seven on the billboard top 100 and that is the same spot that Broken Boy Soldiers peaked at mm. back in June of 2006. So the uh, the highest position this one got was yeah number seven on uh, in April 12th of 2008. So interesting that the Rack and Tours kind of hit that same level twice. Yeah, and I think that'll do it then. Aside from our rating, but re- before we get to the rating, Paul, I, I just want to end with this little coda here. Um, Jack White was was talking with Interview Magazine again. Uh, th- that's like the main interview they did for this album, so I'm pulling a lot from that. But he says, in response to Blackbird Studios and, and recording this album, he says, it's hard to get that basement back, that attic, that bedroom corner where the ideas were really first burning your skin off. You know, I'm doing it now. I'm going into the studio, and I have in my mind this four-track reel-to-reel I had in my bedroom when I f- was first writing songs. I need to think of it to get in that moment again, you know, to get back there. 
And they said, do you still have that four track? And Jack says, yeah, I do. <laughs> and it'll be there. It'll be there. And you know what, Paul? Boarding House Reach, it was there. <laughs> he got it and he yes. used it. Anyway, uh, let's get into our, re- our review. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna rate this album out of three. I'm gonna do the explanation this time, okay. James. When we get an album, we uh, rate it out of three. We would do it out of ten or something like that, but we tend to just sort of like what Jack does. So <laughs> we we rate it out of three. One, we liked it. Two, we loved it. And three, it's a favorite of ours. <laughs> gotta I'm have not it. saying gotta, gotta have, have it. Okay. Three, it's like a favorite. Like that's a it's our big. And we could do halves and quarters yeah, and stuff. Sometimes we cheat. Yeah. So, uh, James, do you want to go first yeah. and rate the album? It's the Cold Stone Creamery system. I would love to. <laughs> Paul's ashamed of me every time. This episode's going long, so I don't want to go too long, and I've already explained how much I love this album before. Uh, it is my favorite Jack White album. Overtakes Icky Thump. It's got the storytelling I like. It's got Brendan Benson kind of reining in the Jack White weirdness into a perfect kind of mixture. It's got everything I like about Jack White, everything I like about Brendan Benson, Plus, it's the Raconteurs are just such a solid group. They kind of bounce ideas off each other in such a unique way that I don't think uh, Jack expresses necessarily as much in his solo or uh, White Stripes material. Dead Weather can to an extent, but I feel like that's more improvised, whereas this is like, this has some very experienced songwriting going on, and it, it's, an, it's an enjoyable listen. I can listen to this album and it feels fresh every time. And I also, I remember the panicking getting it because they announced it and two weeks later I bought it and yeah. uh, listened to it in the car. went, what the hell is this? And then I kept listening into it and it just ruined me in such a weird way. So uh, I suffered the bite. I was stung dead <laughs> on sight. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give it the highest rating we can give it. It's three men. Wow, three men. Three men. We don't give that one out just willy-nilly. Well... James, I remember how much you loved this album, and I remember, I have a fond memory of listening to this one with you in the car on the way back from Princeton Junction train station in New Jersey, and just talking about how weird and different it was, and I don't know, how taken aback we were about certain tracks, and I think I was very iffy on the whole affair, with the exception of the the title track, the Consoler of the Lonely Song. I really, really liked that one. Seeing it live turned it around a little bit for me in in some ways, and I think, yeah, this one grew on me a little bit over time, and to the point where it has become a favorite of mine. It's almost like it's one of those albums that I feel like snobs, Jack White snobs, are really into. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching a lot of all that lately. Because it isn't an expected choice. I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to call you a snob. No, no, it's fine. I I, I am. I I think it's easy for for this album to be picked for that because there's a lot of little bits to, to like about it, but it is also an off-the-beaten-path record. All that said, there's some of my favorite Jack songs are on here. Well, my f- one of my favorite, all-time favorite Jack songs is on here, and that alone propels it forward, and I really do like Old Enough, and I really do, now that I, I'm so amazed that I just, like, forgot about Stones Will Shout. <laughs> but, like, that one in Many Shades of Black, the highlights are so high on this album for me, and the, and the, the, the mediocre parts are, it feels a little bit like wading through a swamp. But, that said, I'm gonna give this one a two out of three men a solid let's call it a solid two all right i don't know if we've ever gone below a two in one of these things i think we did with dead weather yeah maybe i'm saying like a strong 1.75 and a soft two how about that oh man paul you're doing me a you're doing me a 
a heckin' scare. <laughs> I like it. I mean, whatever. Like, I I like the album. I, there's aspects aspects of it that I love, and I'm so happy we got that vault reissue. The vault reissue was awesome, which I'm fondling right now. Yeah. Well, sign me up. I wasn't trying to call I... people who like this album snobs. <laughs> I'm just saying it'd be easy for a Jack White snob to love this album. And saying. it is, and I am one uh, for sure. Want to kick it to our third person this week, James? Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's get out of here and kick it to our third person. This has gone on long enough. <laughs> to welcome our very special guest this week, Brandy St. John. Brandy, you are a stylist. You design costumes. You're a singer-songwriter. You've worked with Jack on many an occasion in many a band, not to mention a bunch of other musical artists. Uh, It's a thrill to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you pretty much created the look of most of what me and Paul have been uh, obsessed with uh, the, <laughs> the the albums and things. The wardrobe plays a huge part in that. So you've done amazing work, and uh, we we really 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 appreciate you talking with us today. Of course, thank uh, you. Well, let's start a little bit at the beginning here in terms of the styling, and then we'll sort of transition a bit into your musical leanings. But how did you start on the path to professional styling, and and specifically for for rock and roll artists? Was this an ambition of yours at a young age? Who were some of your inspirations? Kind of give us the lowdown there. Yeah, I went to UC Berkeley um, and, you know, studied some costuming there and moved to L.A. with costume design in mind. But it was really hard to break into film um, costuming because you... You can't work on a project unless you're in the union. You can't get in the union until you've worked on a project. So it's like the old Hollywood (laughs) Catch-22. So I was just trying to figure out how to get into the industry. And I was in a shoot modeling. And so I asked the costumer, I said, how did you get started? And she was was like, oh, I'm a stylist. You don't have to be in the union. And I thought, oh, I like like that. Um, So I I set out to become a stylist and found out that stylists have agents. And I went around to all the agencies with a little resume and said, you know, I really want to be a stylist assistant and I'll work for free until I, I have experience. And I went to a place called Smashbox, which was an agency, but they were also a photo studio. And there was a stylist in the parking lot, and she was really, like, <laughs> frantic. And she was throwing gowns into her, her SUV, and they weren't even bagged, and you could tell they were really expensive, and they were just turning into, like, a jumble of, like, hangers and, and like, tool. And so... I was I like, <laughs> do you need help? I, you know, I really want to be an assistant. I'll, I'll work for free and I'll work really hard. And she was like, you can start tomorrow. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I started working with her the next day. And she was one of the biggest um, like red carpet stylists in Hollywood. Wow. So like the next day I was like shopping for bags for like Jennifer Aniston. What like a La La Land story is this? It's so, <laughs> it really is. Um, and it was like her first appearance with Brad Pitt and it was like a really big deal. It was the Emmys. And I just like dove in to the deep end like the first day and it's pretty much just been like that ever since. It's really just been like 
crazy kismet and like being in the right place at the right time, but also working really hard and having like a really... Are you sure this person wasn't Meryl Streep? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's she was a stylist. And so from there, I started working with someone who was also a stylist for Red Carpet and she did some bands. And so their management company started to take notice of me. And she's like, you work really hard. I'm going to put you on with some other bands that we manage. And you'll be the, the main stylist. And so that's how I really got started. After like two mm. years, I was doing my own jobs with bands. And then I just started getting more rock and roll clients. You know, once I started working with Jack, people really wanted to work with me a lot more. Your resume explodes at a certain point. There's just like, you're working with so many people. Bill Joe Armstrong seemed to be a big one for you as well. Yeah, I worked with Green Day for like three or four years. The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Trent Reznor and Mary Queen Reznor. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just really people that I have admired and listened to, you know, like in the case of Trent, like since I was a teenager. Um, So I've always been really, you know, excited and blown away by the opportunities I've had. And I've learned so much about making art and especially making music from being able to work so closely with people that are truly genius at what they do. Yeah. Speaking of that, like you mentioned listening to Trent Reznor when you were a kid, who were some of your favorite bands growing up? Like, did you have a did you have a type for like music, like a specific genre, or what was some of your favorite stuff? I mean, growing up, my family listened to a lot of old country, so I grew up around like Patsy Cline and Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and then in high school, I got really into like punk music and goth music, so you know, I was listening to like The Misfits and Cure and The Smiths, and and then in college, I started listening to like PJ Harvey, Nick Cave. I've always been really into Velvet Underground. The Gun Club has been a big influence. And then, you know, like when, you know, like the White Stripes and the IIS came out, I was just pretty much all about that. Right. And then listening to the White Stripes, like many people got me into the old blues. <laughs> no. mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So then I was listening to like, you know, Memphis Mini and and Bessie Smith and and stuff like that. Nowadays, I'm listening to, I mean, mostly all women. I try to listen to primarily women just because I think, you know, I relate to their messaging and the way that they create their messages. Yeah. So I listen to like Chelsea Wolfe and Angel Olsen and Nadine Shaw and um, Shilpa Ray are all Mm -hmm. really, really incredibly talented that are also really underappreciated i think i think me and paul of our tastes have both started to go in a similar path i think most of what we listen to at this point aside from jack white related things are female songwriters and and singers allison mosshart and yeah yeah saint vincent and Janelle Monet and Margot Price. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a lot in common with Jack musically. Yeah. You know, like one of the things I really like about working with Jack was that he always had a really kind of clear idea of what he wanted to do in terms of, you know, the look or the wardrobe or I would never want to work with someone that had like no sense of their own image or what they wanted. It would feel too much like a stylist who's like slapping an image on someone and, and doing a makeover, which is really unappealing and like kind of like the icky part of Hollywood that I don't like. Mm-hmm. 
So I really like people that would have an idea, you know, a sort of like starting point, and then we would just sort of exchange, you know, like images or let the idea spark from there. That always made it, you know, really easy for us to kind of, you know, talk about and see where we would take an idea. Um, Your design influences, notably on uh, the Icky Thump cover with the suits in 2007, you guys did um, Get Behind Me Satan too. Yeah, that was the first thing I did was the Get Behind Me Satan album cover in 2005 in Detroit um, so that was a while ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> back a little ways, yeah and uh, yeah so we did that and then we started on the tour wardrobe and yeah I mean we just had a lot of sort of common interests and tastes and worked well together and you know worked for like six years I guess yeah. after that on a lot of projects. One of the things I really love about Jack is that he's incredibly prolific, as everyone knows. Um, he has about like a thousand ideas a day, and they're all really <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> so we were always working on several things for a while there. Yeah, just a, a lot of really great, creative, fun projects that, looking back, were really amazing experiences. Yeah. Yeah, and then we did some raconteur stuff, I guess. Real quick, just to touch on the Get Behind Me Satan cover. When you costume for a uh, an album cover, are you on hand the day of the shoot to, like, troubleshoot wardrobe problems or, like, sort of solve any mini crises that might pop up? Like, what's your role on the day of? You're there to make sure all the wardrobe is, is looking its best and worn properly and pick the favorites. You know, I would make sure that they were ironed and looked good. And and you're, you know, uh, facilitating all the changes. Yeah, so I was always there. We shot that in Detroit at various locations. Um, and then there were people in it, you know, like the little twin girls. So just kind of making sure that they're all dressed and, and things like that, too. Um, yeah, so I was, I was always there, which was amazing, again. You might be able to answer... Uh... A question me and Paul have had for a long time about the Get Behind Me Satan cover. And if you can't answer, we understand. What is he holding? Yes. Yes. You know, I honestly don't know. I don't think he has, I don't think he's ever told anyone. Um, nope. We, we know that Ben Blackwell knows, and we think he told Bruce Brand what it was when Bruce was, like, touching up the cover. But uh, we're not trying to get anybody in trouble. We're just dying to know what that thing yeah, is. Yeah. That's all. You know? <laughs> we haven't gotten a consensus. We've talked to at least four people who were there that day, and no one has given us uh, either the same answer or an answer. <laughs> so yeah, we're... and I know there are like theories, um, yeah. which I like. I like that there, you know, are, there are some theories. I think that's the mystery's nice. Yeah, I, yeah, and that's the other thing I really liked about Jack is that he understands that concept. He's kind of like a poet in that he understands how much to let the audience bring to a piece mm -hmm. of art mm -hmm. and, and how, much, how much to show and how much to reveal. And I, a lot of artists don't understand the beauty in that and how, how much more fun it is for the audience member to be more actively engaged um, in bringing in their own ideas, interpretations. And he just yeah. is really great at that balance um, and keeping, like you said, people guessing for years and years. Like, 
it's been like what 14 years and people are still want to know what that is and if he had told everyone right away no it would be like oh i don't even you know i don't even remember what that was but you still think about it 14 years later so that's pretty genius yeah, me and Paul were just uh, poring over the, the tintype photos that are in the Consolers of the Lonely packaging with the LP. Um, and I w- we were going over and finding little props details that we had never noticed before. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun little game of connect the dots that you can sometimes play with those and theorize. What a wonderful, wonderful transition, James. <laughs> <laughs> um so we're talking on the show today a little bit about the Raconteur's uh, sophomore release, Consolers of the Lonely, which you're credited, I love this, by the way, you're credited with general garmentry and bewitchery, yeah. so that's fantastic. Um, let's talk a little bit about the costuming for the cover shoot. Um, so there's like this kind of traveling medicine show, old-timey sort of quality to the general aesthetic for the project. Was that a... Uh, a band decision was there any consulting with you in terms of like a particular era of the costumes like can you give us a little bit of background as to how that assignment for consoles of the lonely grew yeah um so the photographer i believe was the first decision right so um mm-hmm. It was Stephen Berkman and i believe i'm pretty sure Jack had worked with him on cold mountain Okay, that makes sense. Getting his tintype uh, shot for the promo of that film. Oh, that's right. And I don't, I don't know how it started, but we were both into like Victoriana at the same time, and like spirit photography and um, and things like that. So he was like, "Oh, this is great tintype photographer," and then. So Stephen came on board, and then Stephen had a lot of very sort of specific ideas, um, and then it just sort of started from there. Like, everyone, you know, has their, like, different sort of solo shot, um, and so then we were kind of, like, brainstorming of, like, what those would each be, um, and I, like, I'm pretty sure they all chose, you know, what they wanted their solo shot to be. But there was one that changed last minute, and that was LJ, which is Jack Lawrence. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, uh, a milkman, and um, <laughs> which would have been amazing. And I had this really great milkman costume for him, but um, it wasn't period accurate because it wasn't, okay. you know, from the 1860s. And Stephen was really a purist about the Victorian era, so. Um, and I was much more interested in sort of dipping around time periods and creating something new. Right. So we went with something else. But, um, okay. but yeah, uh, that was sort of the one uh, change that we didn't do. We noticed uh, a lot of 30s, like 1930s stuff was working its way in. But yeah, it never went as far as the 50s. I mean, the, the closest you get is with... Um, Patrick Keeler in the with the motorcycle but yeah yeah that was a really great shot um yeah and there's like a little I don't know if you can see it but there's like a little um seahorse in that shot there is yeah and it's a real it's a real um so there's taxidermy in all four shots yeah it's a little taxidermied seahorse that we got 
um, in Los Angeles uh, one day. Oh, that is shopping. beautiful. It's so good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's on, it's on the helmet. Oh, that's that's what's on there. Yeah. Okay. So those are the individual shots. Where did the idea for like the bandstand come from? Like a traveling medicine show almost like, but performance kind of fair sort of thing. Like, like a what, parade. Can you yeah. Give, yeah, parade. Can you give us a little background on, on that idea? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know specifically where that idea came from. I mean, a lot of times things just happen on set. I mean, obviously there was a float built, so that didn't just appear out of nowhere. But right. in terms of like, you know, like ideation or like, con- you know, concepts, like it's, you know, almost always the answer is going to be from the band. Yeah. So I would say that's most likely where it came from. Um, uh-huh. And that was another 1860s kind of... Yeah, there were a lot of like inspiration photos kind of passed around again from like spirit photography books and and you know sort of victorian era Mm -hmm. uh, books yeah the wardrobing on that is is very interesting specifically the girl who is standing right behind everybody with the with the blindfold on there's some very interesting costuming going on throughout the entire cover yeah um and then for for Jack's photo, I, I mean, I can tell you like a little behind the scenes secret on this one, um, just because it has to do with me. So I feel more comfortable divulging it. Okay. So there's a skeleton in the photo of Jack, his solo um, mm-hmm. shot. And I'm actually holding that skeleton. Whoa. And, oh. um, and it, was a, it was a tintype photography trick that literally makes me disappear and you don't see me in the shot at all. Um, <laughs> That's like, so cool. It, wow. is, it is really amazing because you really don't see me at all. We literally needed someone to hold this skeleton to make it look like it was, you know, it, it's a real skeleton that Jack has. So not, I don't know that it's actually like <laughs> yeah. real human bones, but it's the kind that you use in like anatomy class. So we'll, we'll leave that open to uh, <laughs> yeah. interpretation. <laughs> I don't think it was, but it was very heavy. Um, so Steven, so I'm standing on a box and I'm holding it to make it look like it's reaching for Jack. And I was wearing all black. Steven said, you have Uh to be wearing all black because the way that tintype photography works is you'll disappear because something in front of you is white and it's just going to focus in on the white, the skeleton, right? So, but we were both sort of like, oh, there's no way I'm going to totally disappear. Um... (laughs) Uh, so I'm wearing all black and I had to like put my head down and I think I was probably wearing a bonnet because um, I just wore them on set a lot at that time I was going through a pretty heavy bonnet phase and um, (laughs) I'm still in mine actually yeah and so I would just wear them on set because uh, for sun protection mostly um, being an uber pale goth and so I would just put my head down and uh, when he would take the shot and then he would say, okay, now run out of the shot because the exposure was really long. It was like a 20-second exposure for a tintype. So he'd say, run out of the shot and then it'll you know, basically take a plate without you there. Um, and then through the wonders of tintype photography, um, the picture came out and you literally don't see me in any way. You just see the skeleton. 
Um, so that's kind of like the biggest, you know, magic trick of the day that I uh, that I really like to sort of look back on because we're like, oh, you know, you're probably gonna see my outline at least, and you really don't. Like I'm just not there at all. I think now we're gonna be pouring over this thing looking for it. It's almost like uh, it seems like proto green screen or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. that's how they pulled off all of those old spirit photograph that made it look like you know there were ghosts in the photos apparently so we were doing the real the real deal spirit photography and I kept laughing because the skeleton was like really heavy and I would have to like run off the set and it was like clattering all around and (laughs) and I just kept laughing and I think we took it like probably like four or five times you know to get a good one and so that was really funny we know jack took that vest on tour did did any of the other band members take artifacts from your stylings that day on tour with them or did your because i know i know you specifically designed some of the outfits for get behind me satan and stuff but did you design uh the touring outfits for raconteur stuff at all uh there were a couple of things um like i remember there was this really great shirt for lj but for the most part, um, no. The suit that Jack's wearing in that photo is was his like famous bone suit that he wore yeah. on that tour. And Manuel made that in Nashville, who okay. was sort of the apprentice of Nudie Cohen, who made Nudie suits. So yeah, Manuel, you know, basically like worked under Nudie. Yeah, we we were curious about that because we had noticed the skeletal shirt uh, that he took on tour as well. We were we were curious if if you were involved in that as well. But uh, one thing I do notice that's extremely prominent, especially in this era, is is the hats. It's like uh, every single person has their own custom hat, and it's it's beautiful. And they're all different with the bowlers and the the fedora and the top hat. And you will, you, like, it's weird because you do see them wearing these hats. Looks like throughout the tour, but I could be wrong about that. Were those from your department or were those chosen by the, the members? I think Patrick found his own bowler hat, if I remember correctly. Um, okay. And there's, like, so many projects that all sort of, like, melt together. Yeah. I mean, they're all sort of similar. Yeah, there was like a there was a Stetson, um, like an old Stetson top hat that I found for Jack that he ended up keeping. But I'm pretty sure that was for the dead weather. I think that's the one that he wore on stage a couple times for the dead weather. It was just this beautiful Stetson top hat, and you don't really see Stetson top hats there, so well known for being you know cowboy hat makers. So. Wasn't there like a feather in it too or something? I feel like I remember a feather. Yeah, I actually have one of those feathers from the old enough shoot. Oh, nice. Yeah, but so yeah, and then there was like a phase where he was like putting, well, we did that for the Dead Weather sort of album packaging, started putting like yeah. big feathers in his hats, which was really fun. And then he kind of, went off in that direction for a while and did that on stage. Well, that is a great spot to leave this for today. We are going to be back next episode with uh, part two of this interview. But Brandy, thank you so much for joining us here today. We have a lot more great stories to get to. And uh, yeah, we will do so next time. So yeah, I guess, yeah, James, let's, let's kick it back to the show, shall we?
All right, James, we're going to be back with more from Brandy St. John next episode. We're going to have a pretty interesting next episode in store for you. I think you guys are really going to like it. But until then, we got some just some thank yous and some shout outs we want to breeze through here real quick, James. And, oh, I think I'm just going to start here and jump right in with some of our regular listeners, some people who are with us day in and day out. We have people such as Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. We have, oh, our new one, Shane Ben Jamson or... The Shane boy you've always known, which I actually just really love to say. Nick Langford, uh, the Lang you up in the heavens, uh, Brett Three Kill Margarski. A big thanks to. Did we ever add? We never added Vito Hicks to our to our little list here. We got to give Vito one. I had a great time hanging out with Vito when he was out here in sunny Los Angeles visiting the Flying Vito. Okay. It's something. All right. Vito Hicks. I'm putting in parentheses the flying Vito. I think flying Vito is pretty damn good. It's something. All right. So let's go with that. Vito. We like to thank Vito Hicks, the flying Vito. (laughs) And, uh, of course, Tam Davis, our third person in spirit every week. And why not Andre Ice Cold Lime Man? We'll give him one. So thanks, guys. Thanks for supporting the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank listeners talking to us on Facebook. Let's go with Facebook today, Paul. Such as Lauren Gray, thank you so much. We have we have Shane White, thank you so much. We have Michael Travis, Mohammed Hafez, thank you so much. Jeffrey Austin, let's also go with Eric Mace. Yeah. Well, not a good one. Thanks, guys. If you'd like to be shouted out on the show, we can do that. It's simple. All you have to do is contact us on social media at facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can visit our WordPress page, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. Shoot us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can... I know. Jay's trying, <laughs> trying to provoke me into a yawn. You can uh, find us on Pippa where we host the show. And you can search us on YouTube where we post some videos and James does some funny animations and stuff. And please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Indeed. And if you have any listener questions, feel free to shout those at us. Those listener questions will shout. Yeah. We'll answer your questions. If you have it, we'll answer it in a, in a future segment. I know we keep saying that and we keep pushing it off. Uh, we, we are just, uh, we've got a lot of material to yeah. get through. <laughs> Which you wouldn't think um, we would at episode 94, but here we are. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank Sam Kiebert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the wonderful intros and outros of our program. If you want any merch, please buy merch. If you buy a cheese board, I'll get you cheese. And there's that. You can find that at bit.ly slash third men merch that's m-e-n third men merch and uh you can get some some nifty stuff with some nifty designs and where where your favorite podcast well that's probably not us where a podcast to a jack white show yeah why not yeah and by the time of the release of this episode the 10-year third man records concert will have happened and so anyone who went to that we hope you had a great time and we are Indeed. we're looking forward to hearing your story so if you did go to see that please send those in and uh, James was there himself, and that may be a little tease of what we might... I'm there right now. <laughs> so anyway, uh, until next episode, James, I will be looking for a home teasing future episodes. And I will be looking for a home in the middle of the desert trying to fight off scorpions and tarantulas and other assorted creatures. Bye! Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. We're the third men. We're the third men.
This week, she wants upsies. So all three of us felt awkward and cringy. It all worked out. Yeah, whatever. Hey. Hi. There's gonna be okay? some, there's gonna be some weird noises on there when you get back. Oh boy. <laughs> we had right. a tickle um, fight. <laughs> what I yeah, love so, about uh, you know family life really does pop up. Whoa, uh, pop up for Brendan. Decent meal. My brain is fried. You know, I haven't slept a wink for real. Note. Just singing above note. Above note. I always think he's saying bottom note. It's a, oh. She did not like that. <laughs> Looking for an escape goat. I am recording now. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Take two. two. One. <laughs> Go. Good, good. It gives me an opportunity to finish this. Chicken. James, can you pass me some of that sauce over there? Mm. Uh, no. <laughs> I won't. Okay, it's gone. Okay. No, it's not. We're watching a lot of Sesame Street these days, and the, that this, the cookies are sometimes food hasn't really crept in yet. I'm super happy they kept him as a diabetic. They've given him a chef companion named Gonger. And he mispronounces things, and he sounds a little like Bruce McMouse. Because we're just a couple of Memphis horn dogs. His horn dogs. Yep. <laughs> or five, six more. That's impossible. We'll, we'll speed through. Can you can you just assuage something for me? You're definitely recording since we since we had to pick it up again, right? Consider yourself swayed. Thank you. All right. I don't even know if that was yeah. a word that I should. I don't know. That's why I think Song I got facts. a rich kid's blue.